0: This podcast is brought to you by the Creation Academy Honors Program, an apologetics learning experience designed to teach, train, and inspire others to become strong defenders of the Christian faith and biblical creation. Launching early 2019, the program offers video and audio training. With downloadable course workbooks, expert interviews, and exclusive Q&A sessions with leading creation scientists and apologists, quarterly eBooks covering a wide variety of subject matter, and even a private Facebook community where you'll fellowship and interact with a like-minded community of believers. If you want to be notified when the program goes live, and even help us design the experience from the ground up, head on over to www.jointca.co. Today and sign up for the waitlist. You'll get early access to the private Facebook group for free as a thank you for joining. All right, you're listening to the Steve Schramm Show. Thank you for joining us this week. I want to give you the second part of our interview with Josh Shoemaker and Dr. Gary Branis. These guys have edited a book recently called God and the World of Insects. We began talking about it last week, and I trust you really enjoyed that. I know I did. And so this week, we're going to pick up with part two of that interview. All right, we're going to get right into it. Um, if you, if, if you like what we're doing here on the show, I'd encourage you to go rate uh, and review the show uh, in iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts, you should be able to get to a link to be able to, to, to rate the show in some way. Um, And subscribe, of course, if you're not subscribed to the show uh, to get the latest episode each week when it comes out. Please do. We talk about all things creation and apologetics here, and um, we love what we do. So uh, be sure to tune in each week as we discuss these issues so that you can be better prepared to defend your faith. All right. Uh, Again, go back and listen to last week's episode in order to get the full context. But uh, without further ado, here is the... uh, Remainder of our interview with Josh Shoemaker and Dr. Gary Brantus on God and the World of Insects. So we're just kind of moving right through it here. I mean, and, and so in Chapter Four, uh, PhDs Paul Nelson and Ann Gager they did a chapter together, and uh, and uh, basically they eviscerate any evolutionary uh, naturalistic explanation for the process of metamorphosis. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit more about this process and why specifically it screams design?
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, first off, I would uh, point your listeners, if they haven't seen it, there is a video that was produced entitled Metamorphosis, where the video goes into some detail and with some nice animation and, and discusses the whole process. And and I would highly encourage anyone who's, who's interested in this to, to take a look and, and check out that video. And, uh, you know, it, like I said, just just a fantastic video that illustrates the process. But really there's some key components to it. And when you're talking about a, an insect, and a lot of insects go through different types of metamorphosis, but would a uh, butterfly metamorphosis is a, is a complete metamorphosis. And so that's, that's where you have an egg that goes to a larva, to a pupa, to an adult. And really probably the, the most amazing part of that is what, what happens in, in the pupa or the chrysalis. You really have to have built into that whole system, two body plans in advance, because what happens is once that larva stage becomes a pupa, a lot of the larval tissues will actually die and, and, and actually disappear. And some of those components are then recycled and become something totally different than they were before. There's some cells that are there from the very beginning that, that are not even used in the caterpillar. Like they just kind of sit there and they don't do anything. And then when it goes into a pupa stage, it, it, then those cells activate and, and, and then finally do something. But I mean, there's, there's things that happen. You, you have a one stage of the insect where, there, where it starts off as this caterpillar. And then before it's a butterfly, when it's in this pupa stage, you know, there, there's, in the caterpillar, there's, there's no, there's no proboscis. There's, it doesn't have any long legs. And and one of the most remarkable things, and and we'll get to this later maybe is, is what what Wendy talks about. uh, Wendy Billick in her chapter on bees and how, how fascinating compound eyes are. There's no compound eyes present in that larval stage of that butterfly. And yet it goes in the pupa and it pops out and now it's got compound eyes. It has a different type of eyes in the larval stage. And now it's got compound eyes, and so it's really, really fascinating that this process happens. And and so what what, what they talk about in the in the in the chapter and and, and really in that video where it lays it out, excellent, is is how that this this whole process just doesn't make any sense. I mean, there's no there's no explanation for it for why something like this would occur, and and even like like some things have been postulated that maybe there's uh, this, this evolved over years because there was limited food supply and, and so the insect needed to have two different food sources, for example. And, but, but there's no evidence for this. Even the evolutionary biologist texts that talk about, uh, insect and in, in this development, if they, you know, if they postulate or, or, suggest that this is a possible theory, the ones that I've read will then say, yeah, there's not really any evidence for this yet though. So we still need to look at it more. Right. So there's not really an adequate explanation for, for for how metamorphosis developed. Again, there there are some some things that have been put put forth, but all of those are are debated and they're and again not really an adequate explanation. And so that's really what, what what they discuss is and why they say that there's there's such evidence for design here is because all of these challenging components and and yet there's no adequate explanation. So, I, I, again, I would just encourage people if they haven't seen it to watch that video because it really goes into a lot of detail.
0: Yeah, yeah, we'll put a link to that um, in the notes. And, and, I mean, just, you know, I, I think this might be a good place even to plug the book. I mean, there's some good, uh, you know, uh, images and, and things like that all throughout the book that kind of show some of the different things going on um in these in these in these in these processes and um yeah it's really amazing uh the uh the different stages that they have to go through and you just wonder you're just asking yourself the whole time how could this possibly arise naturalistically <laughs> and uh everybody seems perplexed by that and uh I, for good reason so um it's it's definitely a good read it was one of my favorite chapters in the book of course I like, uh, I like Paul Nelson anyway. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of his. And so, Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and he and Anne the way they wrote this chapter, I thought it was absolutely great. And, um, and and really took the evolutionary paradigm to task on that particular point. So Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, absolutely great. So get the book Hey, I, I get the book, it's not that expensive, and uh, it's totally, um, you need to see the images and the pictures and the explanations. I mean, we're talking about it here, but we're not doing it justice. I mean, the guys who, the guys and, and girls who, who, who wrote this particular, you know, their individual chapters, they they did such a great job and they're experts in that. That's yeah, why they wrote yeah. the chapter. So, That's right. so you definitely need to go ahead and grab that. Uh, all right, Gary, let's talk about ants. Um, you know you tell us in there and you you tell us a lot so let's start with that uh there is a lot to learn about ants that you've given us but in there i found one thing that just really man it was so interesting to me and you're free to talk about more of this if you want to but um but i definitely wanted to bring out this thing about ant colony optimization um or aco now you claim that this uses data from the cooperative behavior that we find in ant colonies to manage traffic flow on our streets now if this doesn't i mean if you can't if you can't pull a design application out of out of the uh um, if you can't pull something out of the insect world and apply it to the human world and say that there's no design there to me that just seems completely Im- improbable um so how does this particular thing work why is it so uh, effective and whatever else you want to tell us about ants
2: right yes well no this is a real fascinating area uh it's a new area of study basically um the computer scientists and engineers um, in the early 1990s apparently they got together with some biologists or entomologists and um, started looking at the behavior of ants how they forage for food how they travel on trails and so forth and started thinking well we can learn from the ant and uh, apply that to a lot of practical problems that we're facing. And so uh, they've made great advances, there's uh, uh, national conferences on this, there's a lot of research papers, a lot of it's theory yet, but there's also a lot of uh, applied um, uses for uh, this combination of knowledge. So it kind of goes back to uh, the ants where um, it's amazing how they forage for food. They uh, they're out there. Um, a lot of the work is done with Argentine ants, uh, leaf cutter ants, other species. But if we we focus on Argentine ants, they um, they communicate by using chemicals. Their their sight isn't that great, but through chemicals called pheromones, and specifically a f- trail pheromone, the ants will lay this down um, uh, basically by dragging their abdomen across the surface. Once they, uh, the scout ants are out uh, and they're foraging at random, but once they find a reliable food source, they lay down this pheromone as they make a V line, a direct line back to the colony, back to the nest. And uh, that encourages other ants to follow. And if it remains a good food source, it's reinforced as the ants travel back and forth with this pheromone. The pheromone is uh, will evaporate very quickly. so. Once the food source is depleted, uh, that trail goes away, and then they focus on other areas. And um, it's reported too that they will locate food that's closer to them to save energy and build up that pheromone um, as opposed to food that is much more distant and takes more energy. So they're very efficient in how they forage for food. And so um, the um, engineers and software folks uh, were able to apply a lot of that in uh, mathematical equations or algorithms, they're called. I talked to my son about this recently. He's an engineer. Uh, I know the entomology side. uh, When it comes to the engineering, it gets pretty complex. But uh, basically, they they use uh, uh, the ant model uh, in these mathematical equations and can uh, basically simulate how how ants are locating food. So it has direct applications in traffic management and things like that. Wow. Yeah. And I, I think this is really an exciting area when we think about where people now live. Um, I, I've In the last month, I've had to drive through LA on a couple of occasions and well, Josh can talk more about this. He lives down there uh, in Southern <laughs> California, but it's just a, it's a challenge to get through the city. Uh, almost any time of day now. And, that, and that's true of all large cities across the world. Uh, it, by 2030, it's estimated that about 60% of the world's population will live in cities. So um, it, the, the traffic is just gonna continue to get worse and worse. And so uh, by applying principles we learned from ant behavior uh, to routing and so forth, it, it really can help in that area. Just a couple examples there's um, a lot of this has been done in Europe it really got started there it's expanding to the US as well but there's a company in Switzerland uh, which a uh, large supermarket chain and then also another uh, pasta maker in Italy where they have this program it's called ant route uh, developed by a company that uses this <laughs> technology and within like 15 minutes they can Plan the best route for up to 1,200 trucks that they send out every day, and to make it much more efficient and how they make each stop and avoid the traffic and things like that. and And they have to reroute this every day because every day is uh, the conditions are different. And so that that's just one example. Um, in France, uh, they're looking at their train system and trying to make that more efficient as far as uh, getting keeping the train on time and. Uh, I read uh, recently, too, an article uh, was published in Scientific uh, Journal, where in China, uh, they've uh, recently uh, adopted that uh, there will be no more gated communities. And the feeling is that by eliminating the gated communities, it will improve their traffic flow. As China is growing, they're getting more and more cars, and it, the traffic is just terrible in their major cities. So they're using this uh, ant... Uh, Colony optimization to um, to um, to uh, predict or estimate how much uh, improvement they can have in traffic flow uh, by by changing this this policy throughout the country. So I could go on and on about that, but it and I I didn't go into a lot of detail in the chapter on this, but it's an area that you know folks are really interested. They could dig in deeper. There's there's more and more information on it
0: yeah and, and just maybe for some of our listeners to to you know reflect on this area i guess this would be some some form of biomimicry right i mean i guess that this is essentially yeah, what,
1: what, what this bio-inspiration. is it'd be like bio inspiration
0: yeah. bio yeah bio inspiration yeah that works um we're essentially we're drawing things from the natural world and applying them to yeah. you know pro- daily you know, processes that that we use as as humans and uh you know there's i mean there's so many so many angles you could go uh to talk about to talk about this like why you know um you know the evolutionary explanations why you know, why don't we just know how to do that aren't we supposed to be you know so the perfect you know form but anyway i don't want to get into all that <laughs> um, we could talk for hours yeah, yeah. just on, j- just down that rabbit trail
1: well the thing is too steve i mean that, that's one of the most amazing things about w- when you look at insects and, and what we've been able to apply uh, technology wise from them it seems you know if you just do a, a quick Google search this happens all the time I mean there's there's new research coming out hey, based on the eye of a you know this particular insect or based on the cuticle of this particular insect we've developed this new technology that helps airplanes do this you know wow. it, it, all the time there is so much stuff and and it, it amazes me that the examples just One after another, and people, you know, can easily look to that and say, "Wow, we're we're taking the example of something in creation and learning from it." And that's because it's it's so awesome. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love I love that. And so it just kind of goes to show how we can use all these different aspects from. From the world that God placed us in, of course, God gave us um, dominion over this. We realize in the in the early chapters of Genesis that we are, um, we do have a role as caretakers over these um, insects and over the animals and over over God's creation. And as a matter of fact, we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. Um, but the point being that we can study and we can we can learn from them. I think there's application there. Um, you know, we live in a world that was designed in such a way that it could be studied that we could learn from, yeah. uh, even the smallest insects. And just when we think that we have got everything all figured out, just when we think that we are, uh, you know, the smart guys on the block, it turns out that in some instances we're only so smart because we can apply the tools that the creator has built in to, uh, to even the smallest of insects. I was, you talk about bees. I was uh, reading that chapter and like, just I, w- I had to look up some of these images of, of bees that are like between one and three millimeters mm-hmm. in size. And and that was one of the things that, that was talked about in that chapter was the, uh, the intricacies of the way that, 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 that bees process information in their brains. And it was like this tiny little, I mean, you'd have to almost have a microscope basically to see this little bee and just to think about the processes that are going on uh inside of that little creature i mean to think that it that there was not a uh a designer behind that it just it just blows my mind this is great man this is all such good stuff um speaking of bees uh Let's talk a little bit about them, Josh. Um, so Dr. Billick wrote this chapter on bees, chapter six. She gives enough astounding facts here uh, just to make anybody's head spin. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, I made this little note to myself that I think the book is worth the price of admission just to learn about about the bees. I think, I think she did a fabulous job on this chapter talking about um, so many different aspects. She talks about their vision. She talks about the way their brains process information. She talks about their foraging techniques. It's just on and on and on. There's so many things. Um, I I guess I'm going to kind of have to ask you to narrow it down, though. Like, of all the amazing things she mentioned, do you have a favorite aspect of the design of bees?
1: Well, well, first I'd have to say that I I completely echo what you said. When I first read her draft, I was – it's just as fascinating as you, you know, I'd read some things about bees and what they could do, but it, it is astonishing. The number of things, you know, recognizing faces, counting yeah, the, the things that bees can do. It, it, it is, it is truly astonishing. Um, my particular favorite though happens to be the, the waggle dance the, the, and the waggle dance is something that, uh, that, that bees do to communicate to other bees, what, what where food is. And, and, and this process is so fascinating that, that when the original uh, person that discovered this, Carl, Carl von Frisch, when he discovered it originally, people thought, no, no, you're wrong. It's totally wrong. And so he had a lot of skeptics. Now, what's great about it is as people started looking into it, they realized, no, he, he's right. And he eventually won the Nobel Prize. So, but, but how this process works <laughs> and, and what's so fascinating is so a bee goes out it finds food and then it has to remember where that is right so it goes back to the hive and then it has to remember and it does this little dance it's like a pattern of where it it moves around kind of in a figure eight and 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 the and it shakes and vibrates its its abdomen while it's doing this and it communicates to the other bees in the hive the distance and it can communicate up to several you know several miles and and that that the duration of that of the of that uh, vibration communicates how, how distant the, the food source is <laughs> and The angle. It, it, it actually does the dance at a certain angle as well. And the angle communicates the direction, but it's not, what, what I think is so fascinating is it's, it doesn't, the bee doesn't like point and say, you know, so when it does a waggle dance, that angle isn't like pointing towards where the, where the, uh, um, source is it's actually much more complex than that it it actually points in the direction in relation to the sun and what's so fascinating about that is so for example if if a bee goes out to a food source and it comes back to a hive and it's it's around it's moving around the hive the hive's dark it doesn't have access to sunlight the sun moves in the sky right while that's happening during as time passes the sun's moving in the sky the bee, when it decides to communicate to the other bees where that food source is, it adjusts for that clock of the sun. So where the sun has moved into the sky, and it, it adjusts and it does its waggle dance. So it points them to where they should fly in the direction based on where the sun is in the sky. You know, and, and Wendy talks all about how how they can see polarized light and UV light and how they can navigate. And so she gets into the details there. But but all of that is important to that waggle dance that it communicates. Uh, to to, uh, to the other bees, and and what I find really fascinating about this is there's some debate, but but most of what I've read would agree that and would actually call this a language. And uh, in fact, ev- evolutionary biologist uh, Jay Gould uh, says that, that that the bee waggle dance is second only to human language in terms of the amount of uh, information capacity that it has. And I think I think it's uh, I, I can't remember if it's him or another. But there's somewhere out there that that I read that it's, it's like f- up to 40 million unique messages can be communicated through the bee waggle dance. And that's a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah. Good night. Wow. Just through that waggle dance. Yep. Not to mention all the other things. I mean, that goodness. Her discussion on, on the eyes was enough to blow my mind.
2: Yeah,
0: uh, and uh, tracking the sun in the sky. I mean, this. These are all things that you just you just never think about i mean how how would you communicate exactly where the sun is in the sky to tell somebody else where to go get their food i mean you know <laughs> you, you know you, you're trying to tell them where it is so that you can go get you know find the the nearest you know i don't know what kind of food y'all have out there mcdonald's i'm sure you have that I mean, i'm just sitting there thinking wow how amazing that uh the way that god built that in to be able to communicate to them so there's a video you said that we could go and watch um, yeah yeah a, i'll share that
1: there. with you so you can yeah. put that up uh, and uh, there's a there's several good videos but there's one in particular i think would be worth sharing so
0: great and you know i'll just uh maybe i'll throw in another tip and it might be because i've got you know three i've got three little boys three under three and so uh this might be a tip for the parents but uh you know the I don't the the bee movie from a few years ago. I think it has a little bit of a representation of this in it. Now I'm sure it's not scientifically accurate, but <laughs> um, but you know if you want to maybe communicate to your little children even the the way that um, that God designed some of these creatures, you know maybe you show in the B movie. I
2: don't know, uh,
0: yeah. maybe that because uh, I think they do the waggle dance in there a
2: little bit. So, do. Steve, Steve, I watched that movie recently with the grandkids. I love that movie. It's, really. It's, really cool yeah well
0: there is the endorsement from a phd <laughs> entomologist
2: right yeah, there very, very enjoyable
0: yeah. on the bee movie that that is great uh oh, absolutely great all right uh yeah so get the book for the, and nothing else for the chapter on bees i mean i think it, it was absolutely fascinating um okay so uh now we're moving on here skipping a few chapters uh on to chapter 10 if you want to know what happens in chapter 7 through 9 get the book uh but but i want to talk about chapter 10 real quick because the both of you and dr porter uh all co-wrote this particular chapter and what you do in there is give us four um significant contributions that insects make in uh considering god's purpose for insect you know why Why create insects? And what you do is you say that, number one, they help maintain a balanced ecosystem. Um, Two, they can be used by people as an instrument to improve agriculture. Three, they're a source of food for people, which is interesting. And four, they're used by God to accomplish his will. Now, some of those are a little more clear-cut than others. Could you guys possibly just, I don't know, maybe talk amongst yourselves, but could you unpack each of these very briefly? You don't have to go into too much detail, but what do each of those things, you know, how do they manifest? What do they look like?
2: Why don't you start, Gary? Okay, well, I can start with the first point then I yeah. guess that was about to help maintain the balance in the ecosystem well i I, I think that gets back to the comment I made earlier where beetles are everywhere and do everything yeah um, and that's true for many insects too they're just uh, really a significant part of the ecosystem they you know they feed on other organisms and they' are fed upon so they're an important food source for many organisms and um, they they just are uh they're everywhere so they're just vital to the overall health of our environment and in the ecosystem so
0: yeah, and I mean, what you know, maybe you guys can help me with this. But when it, when it says balance, I mean, is there any more unpacking to do on that word? I mean, is there, you know, if, if there was too much of one thing, would that cause? Maybe that give an example of that. I don't know if there was too much of, you know, if there was too many uh, ants, then all the beetles would die. You know, I don't know. I mean, is there some is there some kind of intricate balance that's maintained there because of the particular insects that we do see?
2: yeah, there really, I believe there is a balance that's maintained as long as humans don't interfere too much with that balance. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and, and just the environment in general, you know, uh, weather conditions, climate, all of that can interfere. So, um, uh, but, uh, yeah. it basically just moves along terrifically as long as we don't, um, interfere too much. And, um, you know, if we were to lose a whole order of insects like the beetles or whatever, it would have a drastic impact on our on our environment and uh wow. here. So
0: Yeah, I I uh, I'm not sure if this quote I think it is in y'all's book, but I've I've heard it elsewhere as well. Uh something about if if, if all the humans were gone, the insects could go along just fine. But if some right. if some of the insects were to die out then then we would have a problem.
2: Right, right.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that's really interesting. What about the second thing? Um, they can be used as an instrument to improve agriculture. So, okay, so on one hand, we have in, uh, insects who are improving the way that we uh, deliver things uh, overseas. You know, we send out 1,200 trucks at a time, uh, apparently, and we can use ant information to help these guys navigate. But the other side is that we can do, um, we can improve our agriculture. How does that
1: work? I'll, I'll take this one. I, so I think uh, one of the things about uh, just about nature in general is that it's understandable. it's it's orderly. Yeah. so we, we we can see the how the processes work. And I, and I think that speaks to the to the design again, back to that. but but because it's understandable and orderly, we're able to take advantage and you know work the insects, if you will, in some cases. so, I think Gary talked about it earlier where some beetles, and they're not the only one, other insects are, are, are used as well, uh, and arachnids, Steve, uh, in <laughs> biological control. And so uh, we will, will release certain insects to, to help uh, aid us in biological control. So that can be used in agriculture there. Huh. Uh, another way that's you know very common, and, and I think a lot of people are familiar with, is bees, and that bees will be, you, know, you might see them driving on the truck down the, down the road sometime, and bees are moved around, at, at least honeybees, yeah. are, are used to uh, pollinate different uh, different crops. And so we, we've taken advantage of that behavior and, and use them to to pollinate and to aid in our agriculture. Now, up in your area, Gary, what is it uh, uh, every year they bring in, I forget what it is, but like half the bees in the United States come to pollinate the almonds, something yeah. like that?
2: Yes, we would. We want to enjoy our almonds if it weren't for the honeybees that are brought wow. in brought in on trucks from Minnesota and you know and all over the country. Uh, spend uh. the season here in, uh, in the San Joaquin Valley near where I live. You know, very important.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't want to spoil the movie, but, you know, back, back to the bee movie too. One of the, I mean, one of the key features of that, of that movie is that, you know, they basically, the circumstances work out such that the, the, the bees essentially stop working. And what you Mm -hmm. basically see is, and it's, of course, it's done in kind of a hyperbolic way, but, you know, and it's an animated, you know, children's movie, but, you know, what you end up seeing is that the bees stop working and essentially the world shuts down and, Mm -hmm. It's, yeah. I think, very metaphorical, you know. Uh, but at the same time, it's very literal too. I mean, what you know, what would happen if the if the bees stopped doing their work? Well, you wouldn't you wouldn't live in the world that we do. Um, and so, uh, maybe that's just another example of that. Um, all right, I don't know which one you, wants to take this one. But what about this? They're a food source for people. Uh, that uh, uh, there was um, uh, some astounding. Facts that I read on that point in the book Uh, It's not just that they are that there are you know people in the in the you know Tribes and in third-world countries who are eating these things for sustenance. That's not what we're talking about here Uh, I think we're all we all might be a little bit surprised at uh, how many insects we consume who wants to
1: talk about that?
2: Well Jerry, want to take that one too. Yeah, well you want to take that or you want me to?
1: No, no, I think you, I think you, okay.
2: uh, yeah, okay. go for it. I'll, I'll take this one and you can take the last one. It's oh, perfect. I've got an exception here, but, um, yeah, I mean, insects are delicious. Um, uh, <laughs> Chocolate-covered ants, uh, mealworms, crickets, that kind of thing. I, I got some for Christmas from my grandkids. Uh, oh, wow. And, uh, there was only one of the grandchildren that was willing to eat it with me. Uh, the others chickened out, but, um, But no, with our uh, growing population and um, and problems with starvation around the world, the consumption of insects for added protein can be real helpful. Wow! Um, And when raised uh, properly, um, there's a number of different insects that uh, they can be safely consumed, and uh, will add to that protein. Uh, Right now, there's a lot of insects that are raised. for animal feed um, and also for bait and things like that. Um, in fact, there was a cricket farm here. Um, it, it just burned down, unfortunately, oh, no. located near where I live. And they, they raised thousands and thousands of crickets and were in business for many years. Hmm. Uh, hopefully, they'll, hopefully they'll rebuild. But uh, um, so, yeah, it's uh, in some areas it's becoming more and more accepted um, as a supplement to our food, uh, sometimes it can be incorporated into recipes and you know ground up like flour or whatever, and then yeah. not not even um you know not an issue then, as long as you don't know they're in there. If right. you're really, if you're <laughs> really uh, concerned about that, but uh,
0: yeah, well, and to just to expand on that, I think you know um one of the things I read in there said that to a certain extent, it's inevitable that they're going to wind up in the food supply
2: that we yeah. have yeah, right I, yes I uh, absolutely true, um, despite our best efforts to test out of our food and you know, storage and transport and in and you know, in, in use packaging uh, there's actually a, a, a lower limit that is uh, acceptable in our food and um, huh. so actually every one of us uh, unknowingly will eat. Perhaps some fragment of it. An oh answer. yeah, there's
1: there's some some foods in particular too. Like if you if you, if yeah. you like cereal or, or chocolate, <laughs> there's yeah. there's a few that have, uh, oh, have, no. have some high levels that are allowed in them. And uh, I, I mean, just but, had
0: frosted flakes and Fruit Loops this morning. <laughs> killing
1: me, guys. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So you but it's not it's, your boost of protein. You know. That's right. It's just a yeah. boost of protein. It's not bad for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But
1: wow. it's at very
2: low levels. Very low yeah. levels. So Very low. Okay, well, that's comforting. The management industry really works hard at trying to keep that as low as possible, and they do a good job. They do. Yep.
0: All right, well, that's great. Yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. All right, what about uh, – uh, well, I don't know how awesome it is. I, I uh, <laughs> say that. So I have got to
1: try some, Steve. <laughs> uh, I, guess,
0: uh, I, will, I will say this. In reading this book, I have uh, – <laughs> Increased my appreciation for the world of insects. Now, and for God, um, I don't know that I'm too thrilled about about eating them. Um, You know, I once heard one of those things. Now, back on the arachnids, all right? Now, I once heard something that in your lifetime you eat like 17 spiders or something like that because they crawl in your mouth while you're sleeping. I don't know if there's any truth to that. No. Uh, but I heard that. I heard that one time, and I, I was diagnosed with sleep apnea and had to start sleeping with a CPAP machine. And I thought, thank God, I'll wear a mask every night, <laughs> and I won't have to worry about eating them spiders.
1: You've been saying, oh. no, that's that's that that that's not true. I mean, there are some things you hear about insects, like uh, if you've ever heard stories of cockroaches crawling in people's ears, that does really happen. But yeah. the spiders in people's mouths is not
0: oh well thank goodness you really really saved me there um okay so what about the last one then they're used by god to accomplish his will now i I don't think there's any doubt that that can happen but how how does that happen
1: yeah well so just real quick i want to just kind of point out so we we talk about the four here but certainly these aren't the only four i mean
0: uh
1: there's other things for example uh and we talked about it earlier the the fact that insects can be used by us to learn you know we so that we have this bio inspiration so that could be another purpose of them and in fact there was a initially in the in the first drafts of the book there was a proposal for a chapter that would that was going to talk about um how uh, the purpose of insects is so that it reminds us of our mortality it points us to god and, but what ultimately that, that chapter ultimately ended up dealing more with the problem of evil and less about insects so we, we ended up not including it but but so there are other purposes for insects outside of these four, too. So I just wanted to make sure and highlight that real quick. But but back to the fourth one, uh, how God uses insects to accomplish his will. I mean, I, I think we can easily look straight to scripture and see there's clear examples of, of that. Um, you know, the 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 plagues of Exodus, where where God uses different insects to accomplish uh his will there, he he's he's um you know, taking these these creatures that he's created and and using them for his purpose, and so uh, and and Exodus isn't, isn't the only time when that happens. You know, it's there's a, a plague also referred to in Joel, um, and I think there's uh, a couple of other times in, in in the Old Testament where where God uses insects to to, to deliver judgment yeah. uh, even on Israel, and, and so uh, so there's clear examples that we have where where God is taking advantage of the natural behavior of an insect in, in this grand way that, uh, that uh, accomplishes his purposes.
0: Uh, yeah, well, uh, hey, and I'll add to that. I like the way you said that, where he, he takes the natural behavior of insects to accomplish his purposes, because I think one of those purposes is teachability let's let's even talk about that you know i mean in the proverbs you know we are to look to the ant we are to look to uh arachnids like the spiders we are to look to to other animals in the animal kingdom and learn from them and you know i just made i just made this connection in my mind but i'm thinking like you know um I often talk about being in apologetics often talk about with people that when they're trying to be really careful, you know, they, they might, and they're trying to defend their position, you know, philosophically, they might, they might be very careful about their words, but their actions always betray their words, the way that they, they interact with God's world. And so I think this way that, um, we have seen during the course of this conversation, so many ways that we directly learn from the, insect world and apply it to things in our own human experience and ultimately the bible told us to do this first uh we were told all the way back in in the writings and in the proverbs and i think it's the late late 20s when we, chapter 26 or 27 i can't remember exactly which but there's a whole section in there that deals with different ways that we can learn from watching Um, even insects and and spiders and other forms in the animal kingdom. Um, Mm -hmm. There are other comparisons to other animals in the Bible about that, how we can learn um, and that we should be doing things in the way that they do. Um, Like, uh, like it also in Proverbs, it talks about guys like Dave Ramsey uses talking about getting out of debt and stuff, but the way uh, to to act like a a gazelle uh, runs from the hand of a hunter, things like that. And so there the animal kingdom, broadly speaking, we're told in the Bible that we can learn from that, and I think that's a marvelous way that God uses insects and other animals to accomplish His will um ultimately is that we can learn from them. He teaches us through these other creations that He has made. Uh, and where do we find it first in the Word of God? That's usually how it goes. Uh, you guys agree with that i mean did, did, was that a fair assessment?
2: Yeah. 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 terrific yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: All right. Well. All right. So, you know, last but not least, we're almost our time here is almost to a close, and you know this is unfortunate because we could probably talk for hours uh, about this book. There's so much. I mean, we haven't uh, we have not scratched the surface. I mean to to say that we have given you five percent of what's in the book would probably be a drastic overstatement. It's really really been great. Um, but before uh, our time is over for today, I do want to talk about our role as, um, caretaker over these insects. Um, you know, I, I, I was just having a conversation, uh, with a guy and I won't mention any names, but I, I, I work with him and, um, he, uh, not for the first time, but for the first time in a very, very long time went to church, um, last weekend and he's you know i mean right now i mean he's definitely kind of agnostic atheist i mean he's certainly not a believer but he's he's open um and and he was talking about how he didn't know that he necessarily agreed with the particular pastor's rendering of how human beings are the apex of creation etc of course we know as bible believers that we're made in the image of god Um, insects are not made in the image of god but he he said something he said you know um, my view is that all life is precious and I said well (laughs) that's my view too Uh, you know as a matter of fact I am reading a book right now about how you know how God relates to the world of insects and you know there's a whole chapter on there about insect conservation but also pest management and of course this is something that you guys I'm sure know a lot about Um, so I mean I want to know, and maybe I can relate some of this information to him that I want others to know. I mean, what does it look like to be a steward over creatures that literally define the word pest? I mean, we used pest management. We use that word because that's kind of the, I guess, more of a technical term for, you know, uh, the exterminator, you know, but but a lot of people don't really use that term anymore. They, They say pest management, but the word pest, I mean, when we think of a pest, that has a certain kind of connotation. And yet. Not only do we learn from these creatures, but God tells us um, that we are to steward his creation and take care of them. So, you know, there's important ethical considerations, I'm sure, that we need to be looking at when it comes to controlling insect populations. Um, And then, of course, there's the whole thing about insect conservation. Um, Can you guys uh, maybe speak to that a little bit?
1: Sure. Well, well, first of all, I I think I'd just point out that the while a lot of people are familiar with maybe insect pests, the vast majority of insects are not pests. That's, it's, that's a very small group of, of insects, but you know, we may, we see them more, I guess, because you know, they're the ones that are in our homes or maybe that's right. but, but the vast majority of insects are not pests. Good. Okay. So, yeah. Um, now w- with regard to, you know, just general principles on uh, being caretakers, I think the, the Bible's clear that, uh, that God cares about nature. It, it, you know, he calls it very good. And uh, there are numerous passages and we, we talk about these in the book that where uh, that, that point to the point us to the fact that, that God cares about nature. He, he has given us charge over it, but he cares about it. And so what that means is we don't, we don't want to go out there and, and destroy it. Right. But, but we have a responsibility to it rather. And so there is a, a sense which we're, and you, you point out Dave Ramsey, you know, we watch our finances. I, I think it's, it's a similar analogy here that we need to watch over the earth in the same way. That doesn't mean we worship it. it doesn't mean we do anything and put it ahead of God in any sense or way. Right. But, but we owe responsibility to it because it's something that he's created and entrusted to us. And, and, and so um, with, with regards to insects, and, and we can talk about conservation in a moment, but, but I think the question often comes up then well, how does that how does that impact us with when we're talking about insects that that might hurt us? For example, huh. you know, the mosquito is the most deadly animal because because a lot of people don't realize insects are animals too, but right? they are animals. The mosquito is the most deadly animal there is, wow. and you know there are insects as well. Cockroaches vector bacteria; they they're one of the major causes of asthma uh, and. and and so there are definitely some insects that really have a negative impact on, on us if, if, if we're not um, doing preventative measures. Huh. And so I, so I think that uh, that's where, where pest control and things like that are, are very, very appropriate. And, and um, so, you know, as a general rule, we would be trying to, to take care and, and protect the creation. But when it, when it pits, that when there are insects that actually have a negative impact on us, then I think the Bible is also clear that that human life, as you mentioned, being made in the image of God, has a value that is higher than than insect life.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. And maybe I was just thinking of a, a scriptural analogy, you know, maybe some way to relate this to people. And I don't know, the analogy might break down, or you might correct me, but, you know, I almost think about how when we talk about our relationship to the government and things like that, uh, kind of. I think the standard uh, practice that the Bible endorses, and I, I can't give you chapter and verse here, but I know it's out there, uh, is basically obey the government until the government tells you to disobey God. I think it's that's your first commitment is to obey God, and then of course you're to obey the government. Um, but we don't want to violate God's law. And maybe this is something. Maybe this is an analogy that can be drawn. We don't want to needlessly harm creatures we don't want to we don't want to harm creatures at all i think if, if there is an if there is a way to responsibly manage a, a population of pests or of, of insects in general then we do that when it comes to yeah. the point that they harm they 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 could be causing us harm we know that as being made in god's image our our responsibility first is to human life because of its intrinsic spiritual value um then we take the appropriate measures all while being you know conscious of, of and mindful of what we're doing um
1: and, I think and there's, there's yeah. i think there is an instructive passage in the old testament it's not directly insects but um mm-hmm. in deuteronomy 22 i've got it here uh, verse okay. 6 it says if you come across a bird's nest beside the road either in a tree or on the ground and the mother is sitting on the young or on the eggs do not take the mother with the young i hmm. you take the young but be sure to let the mother go so that, that it may go well with you and you may have a long life. And so I think the principle there is, you know, there are certain to, to thrive and for us, whether it's food or, 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 or whatnot, that, that there are certain things that God has provided for us. But yeah. at the same time, we, we need to recognize. So in that instance there, you know, letting the mother go so she could go produce more, we need to recognize that we, we can't just go out and damage and destroy the, the ecosystem and, and, and the world that God has given us. Hmm. So that we need to kind of think about all these things in a larger scale and, and discern you know, when it's appropriate to do, for example, the pest control and, and when, for example, it's appropriate to uh, take the opposite approach and do our best to conserve insects. Uh,
0: yeah, talk, talk a little bit more about the con- conservation aspect of it before we wrap
1: up. Yeah. And, and actually, I, I think this is one area where uh, we as Christians have really good reason for what we just discussed for, for insect conservation. I mean, our motivation to go out and help conserve insects and, and you know, if, you, if, we, if there are threatened populations as such, our motivation comes from the fact that we are caretakers, that, it, that we have a responsibility you know, and there's also a component of it that maybe we want to pass on these insects to our children, and yeah. and so there's a, there's that element as well. But but first and foremost, we're caretakers, and, and we've been given charge of, of taking care of, of the world. Now, so we have a purpose here, and we do this as we as we discuss because it's it's God's creation, and 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 we're we're watching over it in a sense. Now for this is where it gets interesting though for for an evolutionary biologists why would you do conservation the only real reason that that one could give would be utility and you know, we, we might one day discover a uh, an insect gives us a cure to cancer for example and, and actually there it, there is some promising areas there but 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 once for example once we find that cure then from an evolutionary biologist's point standpoint there's no reason to then say hey we need to maintain this life of this insect They're, they really can't offer a justification whereas the Christian we have really strong reason again that goes back to that that whole caretaker and responsibility that we have toward creation
0: Wow yeah and absolutely and you know I think the word that comes to mind here for me is stewardship um, I've got Colossians 116 pulled up here and it says this, uh, for by him, all things, uh, excuse me, for by him were all things created that are in heaven. By the way, that says all things in this particular context, all, I think certainly means all things that are in heaven, things that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, by him and for him. And I think that's very interesting. We, we remember that we are created finite but god is infinite he is the creator and he didn't have to make anything um but revelation i think it's four eleven, um tells us that he created everything for his glory all things were made by him but they were also made for him and so we realized that what we're really doing is we are managing god's creation um i'll draw another uh analogy this is unrelated but but it is i think analogical um i'm i'm currently in the middle of a book it's a really good book on marriage that talks about treating your wife not as just you know um even as just a gift from god or just as your wife but remembering that ultimately god is not just your father but he's your (laughs) father-in-law i mean you when you take care of your wife you are doing it in one sense to to please her father I mean, how respectful, you know, do people try to be of the father-in-law in in that kind of a typical married situation? You got to remember that you're caring for um, not just, you know, your wife's creator, but your wife's father. Um, You are doing that for him. And so I think that's another just analogy we could draw with scriptural support. that says, look, it's created by God. We're doing it for him. And that is our motivation. And I love what you said there. Uh, what, I mean, other than just mere utility, what advantage is there to the evolutionary biologist or, or the person who wants to, to, to champion, um, conservation? I don't think there's any justification for it and, uh, nothing, no rational ultimate justification for it. So, uh, I think that's great guys. I mean, our time's gone, but it's been, it's been great. Um, Thank you so much for joining us and for uh being willing to come on here and talk about this this book. Um so well, Steve, where, thanks for inviting us, yeah. Oh yeah. No, ab- absolutely. It's it's my pleasure. And uh where I mean, where can they get the book? Um, you know, are, are they uh, I don't know if you guys have anything in the future going on that you, you want to care to talk about, um, in terms of more materials that you might be producing. You know, you, I'll just let you guys have the floor here for a minute. Just if there's any way we can get in contact with you and where you can buy the book.
1: Sure. Well, uh, so the book's available, uh, Amazon Christian book, or you can go to the publisher's website, uh, Lampion press. So, uh, thanks for that, Steve. Um, yeah. in terms of the future, you know, Gary, to tossed around the idea of maybe doing a children's version of this book uh some sort in the future uh, I, I don't know how serious that actually is but uh but i know both of us are really passionate about also communicating uh some of these uh messages in a more simplistic way to kids and, and doing some teaching there yeah. um so so maybe that'll that'll come to fruition someday you know i don't know but uh, but right now there's no definitive plans sure. uh to do that well so, like i said i have three under
0: three so let me put in my bid for that okay. I, I, i'd like to i'd like to see that happen uh so you know y'all, y'all pray about that but but yeah i would love to be able to have a more teachable version of this for, for my kids um to you know to be able to show them so the b movie is great but might be helpful to watch to have something a little more definitive uh and instructive than just the the b movie
2: so um Maybe, they, right, can, hey, yeah, maybe go ahead. they can be entomologists when they grow up. Huh? Yeah. Hey,
0: <laughs> maybe so. I would, uh, I would love that. I would love that. But uh, as long as they always remember who it is that they are, uh, you know, that they're honoring, they need to honor God as creator. And uh, can,
1: can I add one, one more quick thing before we close? Steve? Oh,
0: please do. Yes.
1: Yeah. So one of the things we, we haven't had a chance to talk about, but um, I, I just want, I, I've got to throw that, throw this in there is, because so many of us, when, when we're little kids, we're fascinated by insects. And, and you know, it, like you three under three, you're, you're, you know, if you haven't already seen it, you're going to see that they're going to be out there watching insects and seeing what they do. And, and there's just a fascination. And it seems like as we grow older, a lot of us uh, have a tendency to drift away and, and from that fascination with insects. And maybe that's because of the exposure to some of the ones that we talked about, the cockroaches and ants. And, and we're like, ooh, you know, or whatever oh, yeah. or attitude yeah. that we might develop.
2: I've experienced a,
1: that. So. Yeah, such a small, small group of them, and really, if, if anyone out there is, is listening and 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 is I encourage your kids to 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 look at insects, and, and they are so fascinating. And even you, go you know, Google some pictures of beautiful insects. There are just some fascinatingly beautiful, gorgeous creatures, and and it's it's just a wonderful place to, to study and and uh, and and to to see. The the beauty of creation, Uh, and uh, and so again, I just I would encourage people to 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 just to as an adult, if you've kind of lost that insect fascination, just go back and 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 see if you can rekindle that a little bit.
0: I love that man. I think yeah, I think that's absolutely great advice. And as I spend more time learning about God's creation, especially having read this book, I'm going to be more mindful of it. So uh, you you've impacted me and my family, uh, if nothing else. So that's great.
2: Just add to Josh's point there too. Uh, talking about beautiful insects, we have some beautiful color photographs in the center of the book as well. And we were oh, yeah. very fortunate to get some uh, real world-class photographers to contribute uh, photos to the book. I- I'd mention Tom Myers for one. He's uh, he does amazing uh, work with his photography, and so we've got several of his photos in there. and so that that adds to the book as well.
0: Yeah, that that's a really really good point that that Gary just made. That uh, the the book has got this kind of center section in it with all these um, great uh, images in there of of even tiny, I mean tiny insects and and bigger insects, and uh, it's great. Yeah, that's awesome. Good good point. I'm glad you brought that up. All right, well that finishes up our time with Doctor. Brannis and uh, Brother Josh Shoemaker. And um, what uh, what an exciting time it's been. Don't forget to go buy their book. You can get it on Amazon. We will certainly have a link in the show notes. Um, and uh, of course, anything that they mentioned throughout uh, the podcast, things that I think we need to, to send you a link to, we're going to have those available for you to go to as well right there in the podcast notes so you can get to them. All right. I want to thank you again uh, for, for spending this time with us, for learning more about God's creation. I'm telling you, we've barely scratched the surface on God in the world of insects. I mean, I, I think I mentioned this either, um, it was either this week or last week, I can't remember, but uh, I, 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 I'm i telling you, we probably didn't cover 5% of the book. There's so much more to learn, so much more to explore, and uh, it's just a great read. I highly encourage you to get it. All right, let's end with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to, to come together each week to talk about you and to talk about your, uh, you as our powerful creator and to talk about this wonderful world that you created for us to explore and to study and to learn more about, Lord, and to learn, to learn from, even as we apply what we learn in nature to our daily lives. I pray now that you would um, enable us and empower us to learn from these creatures as you even suggest that we do in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us this week here on the Steve Shram Show. Again, we talk every week about apologetics and creation science, so we hope you join us. If you're a new listener, head over to com slash defend. We want to send you something. We want to send you a free course, uh, an email course on us, four lessons long, and I think you're going to learn a lot from it on the um, toughest objections to Christianity. All right, thank you again for joining us. Have a great week. See you next time. Bye-bye.